welcome to Spirit of the Camino, a podcast about the unique and magical experience that is the Camino de Santiago. Join us on this adventure and discover the spirit of the Camino for yourself. Hello and welcome to the third episode of the first season of the Spirit of the Camino podcast. I'm Nick and I'm here as always with Wendy. And after a couple of setup episodes, um, are you really ready to start rewalking this Camino today? I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> All right. So what we're going to talk about today is something that we've touched on in a, in a couple of the earlier episodes, and that's walking from Lisbon. And this is quite a debate among people who have walked this Camino or people who are considering walking this Camino as to whether they should walk all the way from Lisbon or do a much shorter Camino from Porto. Mm -hmm. And just to give some numbers to just kind of set this up a little bit. So if you walk from Lisbon, it's about 610, 615 kilometers. If you walk from Porto, it's around 240. So it's obviously much, much less. It took us 20 days to walk to Porto from Lisbon and then another 12 days from Porto to Santiago. So that's you know well over half of the Camino was in this Lisbon to Porto stretch that most people don't walk at all. Right. Yeah. Porto is definitely the more common starting point. Um, but yeah, when we went from Porto and then got to the border, that was only about six days, I think. And yeah, it made me think, oh, when you start from Porto, you don't really see very much of Portugal because uh, most of what we saw in Portugal was obviously before that. Right. And then to add on to that, um, thinking about what we talked about last time was how northern Portugal is quite similar to Galicia. So you don't see that much of Portugal and then you see a sort of different kind of Portugal from what you see if you walk from Lisbon. Yeah. So just to put some numbers on that as well, um, Porto, if you include both the coastal and the central routes, is the second most popular starting point of any Camino. Uh, about 11%, just over 11% of all pilgrims last year started from Porto, those who ended up receiving a Compostela in Santiago. So the only more popular starting place is Saria, which is uh, just over 100 kilometers from Santiago on the Camino Frances, which is the most popular starting point. So in raw numbers, that was nearly 40,000 people in 2019 walked from Porto, but from Lisbon, it was only just over two and a half thousand people. So it's less than 1%, and so it's nearly 15 times fewer people walking from Lisbon than from Porto. Yeah, not many people when you put it that way. Right. So if you consider, for example, a couple like us, if we're starting from Lisbon, so for every couple like that, there's going to be nearly 30 people starting from Porto you know, at the same time. Mm -hmm. So why is there this big debate? Okay, there's quite a few criticisms uh, of this stretch from Lisbon to Porto. Um, criticisms are that there's a lot of road walking, there's a lot of industrial zones, there's a lack of Camino feel, a lack of other pilgrims, a lack of pilgrim infrastructure, um, and things like that. So we're going to discuss these points uh, as we go. But this uh, caused us really to have a little bit of an internal debate. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're always... that's been raging for years, <laughs> in fact. Yeah, because you were always really keen to walk from Lisbon. I think we mentioned in one of the earlier episodes that you wanted to walk out of our own apartment here. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'd read a lot of things and quite a few pilgrims saying they really didn't like this stretch at all. And so I was a lot more skeptical of it. And this did cause us to delay walking this Camino for, for years. And it was funny because in when we'd be walking other Caminos and we'd meet other pilgrims and we'd say we lived in Portugal, they'd say, oh, so you've walked the Portuguese Camino, right? And we'd say, oh, no, we haven't actually walked that one yet. You know, mm -hmm. and for example, last year we walked the Camino de Madrid, which is a, a far more kind of random Camino to walk uh, than the Portuguese. Um, but it was just because we hadn't really resolved this idea of whether we would start all the way back here in Lisbon or whether we would do a shorter Camino from Porto. 
Yeah, I mean, you had done a lot more research about it than I had. Um, you tend to research the Caminos quite thoroughly, and you're very active on the forums, and so you're always reading posts on there. And I just kind of go along with the, with the flow, you know, you tell me which Camino we're going to do this year, and I say, okay, and I'm happy to do whatever. So I hadn't read all of those negative um, posts and comments um, and wasn't influenced by that. I just really loved the idea of starting from our home, from where we lived and walking all the way to Santiago. And I kind of didn't really care that much you know, what it was like. Like, I was happy to just see see it for what it was and take the good with the bad and just have the, that whole experience. Yeah, it's a really good way to think about it. Um, and so in the end, as we mentioned in the first episode of this season, just the the pandemic and the way that it influenced everything meant that it just made sense for us to walk this Camino. So in the end, the choice was kind of almost taken out of our hands. You know, I couldn't really fight it anymore. <laughs> and we just said, all right, let's do it. Um, it just makes sense for us this year. Uh, so apart from walking out of our door, obviously the other real appeal for this Camino and for doing it from Lisbon for us was that we could walk for a long time in Portugal and just get a deeper understanding of this country that we live in. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And just to, to give an example of this, uh, one of the towns we went into quite early, I think it was on our sixth day, uh, it was a town called Azinhaga. And it's quite a, a nondescript town, really, but it's the birthplace of José Saramago, who's a, who was a Portuguese writer, and he won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1998, I believe. And he's one of only two Nobel laureates that Portugal has ever produced. And so he's a, a very famous figure here in Portugal, although Portugal and Saramago have, a, a, have had a difficult relationship, which is not exactly a story for today, but he's not necessarily completely beloved uh, in Portugal, which is an interesting story in and of itself. Uh, he, for example, was in favor of Portugal and Spain uh, becoming one country, mm -hmm. uh, which, as we mentioned last time, is not something that the Portuguese in general <laughs> no, uh, like to accept. that's not popular opinion, no. <laughs> um, but anyway, Saramago is buried here in Lisbon, and uh, above where he's buried, there's an olive tree, and it's right in central Lisbon, it's between Alfama and the river, and it's across from the José Saramago Foundation, which is inside the Casa dos Bicos, which is a, a famous... Uh, historic building in Lisbon. Yeah, it's not in a cemetery. It's just his uh, grave there by itself. Right. And it's not technically marked as his grave. I mean, there there are some kind of tributes to him, but it doesn't say here lies or anything like that. And that's that's sort of deliberate. But anyway, there's this olive tree there and they brought it from this town of Azanyaga, from his hometown and, and replanted it there to, to have this sort of symbol of his hometown uh, above where he's buried. And so we went to this town Azanyaga and we stayed the night there. And I think you in particular really liked it for those reasons. Yeah, I, I was one of the things that I was looking forward to about this Camino, having not done a ton of research beforehand. This was one of the places that I did know in advance that we were going to pass through and, you know, the significance that it had. And um, I've read a couple of Saramago's books. I have quite a few of his books that I've bought and that have been sitting on my shelf and I haven't gotten around to reading, but I've, I have read a couple of them and um, was and I really enjoyed them and, uh, you know, really appreciate his writing. And so I was definitely looking forward to seeing where he came from. And there, in, in this town, it's, the whole town is almost like a shrine just to Saramago as well. And so there's this huge statue of him, which is a larger than life statue. Um, and it's him reading a book. And we have a nice photo of you standing next to him reading this, this book. And, and you're dwarfed by him because this statue is really quite large. Yes. Yes, he does seem to kind of dominate the town. I mean, it's a very small town. You might even call it a village. Mm -hmm. um, 
And there is a branch of the, the foundation, the Jose Saramago Foundation. Their headquarters is here in Lisbon, as you mentioned. Um, but they also, uh, not too long ago, I think it was 2017, they opened a branch there in Azinaga, which I did not get to visit because it was closed on the day that we were there. I think Sunday and Monday is when it's closed, and we were there on a Sunday. Um, and But there were several other... Uh, reminders of him that I enjoyed seeing. For example, they have this walkway that goes along this small river or stream that runs through the town, and they have uh, quotes from him that are about Azinaga because he wrote a book uh, called Pequenas Memorias or Small Memories is the literal translation and it's it's largely about his childhood growing up there and so they took some of the best quotes uh, that he had said about his memories of the town and put those on azulejo panels the tiled painted tiles uh, azulejos that we've talked about before um, and you can see those and read them as you walk along this walkway uh, which was really lovely, and yeah, it w I was really happy to get a bit of a better understanding of where he came from, and now I would love to go back and read Bikinis Memorias again, now that I ha have this image in my head of what Azinaga is like and what he's talking about. Right, so we had this really nice afternoon in Azinaga, walking around and checking out some of these sites related to Saramago, um, but then when we we spoke to a couple of pilgrims later on who were also staying there that night, and one was Italian and one was, let's say, Russian-Lithuanian, um, and they'd never heard of Saramago, and that's that's fine. I wouldn't have expected them to, you know, unless they have a particular interest in Portugal, and, um, you know, I certainly wasn't really familiar with him before we started looking into moving to Portugal. Um, but it was just an interesting example of how, to them, that was probably just a, a nondescript village that wasn't really that interesting, and to us it had quite a lot of meaning, and that's what this Camino, and, and in particular this stretch from Lisbon to Porto, kind of did for us, was it, it helped us uh, you know, go beyond the surface level of the, the culture and the history and, and things like that about this country. Yeah, and I remember talking to those two guys in particular in Azinaga, and neither of them were really enjoying the Camino all that much at that point. And we never saw them again after that night, so I don't know what happened to them. I don't know if they ended up finishing or not. Um, one of them was really suffering badly with blisters on the bottom of his feet, and he was debating about whether to continue. But anyway, when we were having this discussion about, you know, they were asking, what do you think of this Camino? And they had done other Caminos. They were very seasoned pilgrims um, and didn't really enjoy the Portuguese Camino that much. And so we were trying to explain why we were enjoying it. And, you know, we said, oh, for example, you know, we've enjoyed seeing all the monuments uh, around here to, to Jose Saramago, and they didn't know what we were talking about. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a good example of how the Camino, this Portuguese Camino, uh, meant a lot more to us, perhaps, than it would to a casual pilgrim who doesn't have much of a connection with Portugal. All right, so moving on to the trail, uh, I think you can divide it into a few different sections in terms of the, the actual path you're walking on. At the beginning, there was uh, a bit of road walking, a fair bit of road walking. There was some industrial areas as well, especially on the, the section between uh, Villa Franca de Xira and Azambuja. Mm-hmm. 
there was this kind of plant, this some kind of uh, power plant power of some plant. sort. Uh, it they, looked like a nuclear power plant. It obviously, it actually reminded me of the Simpsons, like the the plant where Homer Simpson works. Uh, that's exactly what it looked like. <laughs> um, so that was that was our third day, and that was probably the least interesting day of the whole Camino, perhaps. Yeah. Um, and there was also a lot of kind of dusty cornfield walking in the beginning. Yeah, I didn't mind the dusty fields so much because uh, they were good for my feet. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the dust, you know, it does get you get all over you, so you're dusty by the end of the walk. But it's quite soft to walk in. And um, as I've mentioned before, I have plantar fasciitis and problems with my feet, especially in the beginning um, of this Camino because... Uh, we had a super long day on the very first day because of the closure of one of the albergues, and so we had to walk a lot further than we had wanted to or intended to, and that really messed up my feet. So anything that I could do to um, to alleviate that, uh, I was happy with. So I didn't mind the dust, but yeah, I know you didn't like it that much, and I've heard other people complain about it as well. Yeah, I think the first four or five days, people don't really like um, sort of getting up towards Santarang, and some people will take a train out of Lisbon a, a couple of days worth of uh, of walking, and so then they, they don't have to do that section. I think at that point, we were just so happy to be on Camino, mm -hmm. and you know, given the circumstances surrounding this year, so we didn't really mind it at all, and, and we were just you know happy to be out on the trail. Um, but yeah, looking back you know the actual trail those first few days probably uh it wasn't that great um i remember the first couple of days were better than i thought they were going to be because i had heard so much about all of this you know huge industrial area on the first few days out of lisbon and so day one and day two we actually didn't see that much industrial stuff and so we thought oh well people are exaggerating and then day three when we passed the homer simpson power plant then i thought okay now i get it um but you know it was that that one day, which, yeah, really didn't have much, uh, I can't say much good about that day. Um, but, yeah, overall, I don't know. I, I thought that there wasn't a huge amount of industrialization there. I mean, if you pass by on the train, then, yeah, it looks like it's all, um, you know, power plants and these um, huge, like, warehouses where they're, and these, um, what do you call those cargo, like, on a cargo ship, the big containers? Um, we passed by lots of those, which we noticed when we were taking the train on the way back to come back home to Lisbon at the end of our Camino. Um, so, you know, if you, if you're one of the people who decides that you're going to skip that part and just take the train, then you'll be looking out the train window and saying, oh yeah, I'm glad I'm not walking through this. But in reality, you're not walking along the train tracks for most of the time. You know, the, the trail takes you off into more rural, more pleasant areas for a lot of it. Yeah, I think that's a mark of any Camino that we've ever walked. Whenever there's a chance to take you through a forest or a park or, or something nice like that, you know, they always do that. Uh, even if it, it means that you walk a little bit longer, and most people are happy to walk a little bit longer to walk on a more pleasant uh, stretch than than on you know a busy road or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, towards the middle part of this section from Lisbon to Porto, I thought the trail got really great, especially between Tomar and Quimbra. We were walking on a lot of country lanes, little country paths. Um, and that was when we started to, to see a lot of the cultivation happening. Earlier, we'd seen cultivation of tomatoes, which was actually quite interesting. Yeah, we saw kind of massive scale cultivation and harvesting of tomatoes. So 
later on, we would see much smaller scale agriculture of the vineyards in particular in the north. Those were obviously kind of family owned, very small parcels, but the fields that we passed by in the beginning, um, yeah, that was very large scale agriculture with tomatoes for miles and miles around. At least in the season that we went in September, it was tomatoes. Apparently it can be other kinds of crops at other times of the year. Right. I think September was a good time to walk for that because we got to see this crazy tomato cultivation, um, but also yeah, more small scale cultivation of, of grapes from the vineyards. Later on, when we were walking from uh, Toma to Quimbra, yeah, we were just walking past a lot of olive groves, a lot of vineyards, and it was just really, really nice, um, you know, beautiful rural scenery. And the other really big thing for us, uh, which we probably make a bigger deal out of than, than we should have, but we just loved it, was the fig trees. Mm-hmm. Yes, we loved the figs. Um, because the figs were ripe and mm-hmm. you could just pick them off the trees. Mm-hmm. And we just picked them off the trees for about five or six days. We we did this multiple times a day and just basically ate as many figs as we wanted to. And the other thing was, it wasn't that we were just you know stealing figs off people's trees. We would see underneath, you know, on the ground below the trees, just hundreds of figs that had, were in various states that had been smashed, that had been falling. And obviously they'd just been falling for weeks off, off of these trees and nobody was actively harvesting the tree or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't really belong to anybody. It was just kind of on the side of the road or on the side of the trail rather. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, where we could reach the figs that were off the trees and pick out the right ones, we did that. And um, that was a huge part of this Camino actually. Yeah, no, it's de- I will always associate figs with the Portuguese Camino from now on. And it was funny just the other day, now that we're back in Lisbon, I was looking at in the fruit and veg uh, store that I go to and I saw figs and I just kind of laughed because I just kind of thought, why would you buy figs when you can just pick them off the trees? <laughs> but they're actually normally pretty expensive, if I remember correctly, because they're very difficult to transport. You know, they're so delicate. Um, they can squish and smash really easily. So, yeah, I think it's kind of expensive to buy them, but... We're spoiled now because we think you should be able to just pick them off of trees whenever you want. Right. And then the last part of this first stage from Lisbon to Porto was from Coimbra to Porto. And this was the stretch over about five days that I probably liked the least um, of the whole Camino because there was just a lot of road walking. Uh, The kind of country paths that we've just described just seemed to disappear and it was just going from kind of one town to another, but the towns themselves were pretty nondescript and, and we didn't find much interesting uh, you know, stuff to see in those towns. There wasn't much Camino atmosphere at all. And it was just road walking for days. Yeah, I agree that that was the least interesting part. I'm not sure why the towns were not as interesting there. Um, but yeah, they just, you know, none of the architecture was very interesting. And they'd all seemed kind of like modern concrete uh, buildings. And, um, you know, usually I can find something to draw my interest. I'm quite a curious person (laughs) uh, about, you know, lots of random things. But yeah, there just wasn't much that grabbed my interest during that section. So the Camino, of course, is about the journey more than a destination, but there are several key destinations along the way. And in this Lisbon to Porto stretch, I would say that there are three historic cities that are you know, that you mark out as kind of milestone places as you're walking the Camino. And the first of these is Santarém, going north from Lisbon. The second is Tomar, and the third is Coimbra. 
Santarang is the closest to Lisbon, and actually we hadn't been there before, and it was one of these things that we were saving for the Camino. We For four years, we've been saying, oh, let's not go to Santarang, because maybe one day we'll walk this Camino, and then it'll be a surprise for us when we go to Santarang. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was nice that we, we kept that uh, kind of promise, and we got to enter Santarang uh, for the first time. And it's this city with a historic core and several Gothic churches. It calls itself the Gothic capital of the world or something, which I think is a little bit optimistic. But um, it's got this very nice historic core. And when we arrived, we actually had to wait a few hours before we could check into our accommodation. And there's a park that you can go to right at the end of this historic section, and it's called the Portes du Sol, so the Gates of the Sun. And it's it, the park is right at the fortifications of the old Santarén Castle, so you can be in the park here on the grass, and you can look out over the over the fortifications. And Santarén is up on a hill, so you can look out and really see for miles around you um, the river and the landscape uh, around it. And so we had a really nice time because it was very hot uh, at around those days. It was around 35 or more degrees Celsius, and we just sat under a tree in this park, you know, inside the old castle, and had a cold drink and uh, just whiled away some of the afternoon that way. Yeah, that was a really nice memory. Um, I had read that it was a great place to see the sunset. We didn't see the sunset. I think it would actually be better for sunrise, probably, except that the park doesn't open until 8 o'clock. Right, but actually what happened the next morning was we did go because the exit from Santarang on the Camino is right near there. So we did go past it and we did see that it was closed. and, but then as you exit Santarang, it's really quite interesting because you're in this town, and it's a fairly large town, a small city mm-hmm. maybe, yeah. and then suddenly you go through this gate, the Santiago Gate, to exit, and then, you're, then the town is just gone. Mm-hmm. You go right from being right in the, the heart of the, of the medieval core of the town, and then the town just finishes completely. And so then you're in this forest straight away, and there are certain stages where you can look out and have this view over the river at sunrise. And that's well, we were a little bit after sunrise, but we still saw the sun very low. And the river is the Tasia River or the Tagus River, which is the same river that we have in Lisbon. So mm-hmm. to see that, you know, a different view of that river uh, with the sunrise was quite special. Yeah, actually, the views of the Teju, or the Tagus, I call it the Teju, but (laughs) technically in English it's called the Tagus. Um, Yeah, throughout those first few days, that was another thing that I really enjoyed, because we have our idea of what the Teju is, you know, and we see it um, just about every day. We go jogging along it, that's our regular jogging route. and it's a very wide river here, and it's in the middle of a big city. But, you know, th- over the course of the days that we were walking, we were following the Teju a lot of the time. And, you know, we were in very rural areas and beautiful countryside. Um, it was completely different than what I think of the Teju as looking like, but it was still the same river. Right. And so... Uh, from Santarang, we continued, and then Tomao is the next of these historic cities, and we mentioned this a little bit last time. It's famous for the Convento de Cristo, which is this castle convent or castle church, if you like, which dates back to the 12th century. It's a Templar fortification to begin with. It has Romanesque, Gothic, Mamoline, and Renaissance aspects to its architecture, and it's an amazing place. Um, and I would say this is the most impressive single monument on the entire Portuguese Camino from Lisbon all the way to Santiago. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Um, so it does take quite a bit of time, as we said last time, to to really explore it. Um, we've already been there twice, so what we chose to do this time was not to see it, uh, and instead we went and explored some other areas of Toma that we hadn't seen before, because uh, usually when you go there, you're, you're kind of... Um, 
you're sort of fixated on on this uh, Convento de Cristo that you might not allow time for the rest of the town. And so we went to another 12th century church, which is called Santa Maria de uh, Olivage, uh, which is kind of on the other side of the river, a little bit further out from the center. But it was really nice that we had a chance to spend our afternoon going there. Mm-hmm. And it's always enjoyable to be in Tomar. It's a, a really beautiful city. Yes, it is. And I, I did enjoy, you know, um, the fact that we had already been to the Convento de Cristo twice before, and so, uh, and we'd already explored Tomar before, so we didn't have that pressure of needing to do that on the Camino, because sometimes, you know, I'm just not in the mood to do a lot of tourism when I'm on the Camino. As much as I want to, like, as much as I want to fully experience the places and see everything along the way, um, physically, I'm just exhausted at the end of the day. And uh, so it was nice to say, okay, we've done this already, but we know that we like this place, so we can just casually wander around and maybe pick one or two sites that we haven't been to before and check those out. Um, but, you know, not have the pressure to, like, really do Tomar fully while we were there, um, which was nice. Whereas I know, like, when we've had this ongoing debate about whether or not we were going to walk from Lisbon, one of the arguments uh, that you had made against it was saying, oh, but Tomar and Coimbra, those are two of the biggest highlights of that section, and we've already been there, so, you know that's not going to be anything new for us but i enjoyed the way that we did it yeah i think there's some advantages to having never been there before and like you're saying there's some advantages to having been there before as well and so quimbra which is the last of these historic cities uh it was the same thing we'd already been there uh we'd spent a couple of nights there once and, and passed through another time and so we didn't have to see everything uh and everything again for example there's a famous library there called the biblioteca joanina and we'd already seen that seen that so we didn't go and see it again but instead we went to a couple of other sites which are actually very interesting uh, one was the uh, monastery of santa clara nova and so a nova means the new monastery of santa clara there's also a santa clara velia the old one and we'd actually been to the old one and not the new one but as you're walking towards quimbra on the camino you pass right by the new one mm-hmm. even before you're in quimbra proper before you've even crossed the river and so it was perfect because we had a very short day it was still early in the morning and we were able to go and visit that and that was really interesting because it's dedicated essentially to uh, a Portuguese queen, Queen Isabel, uh, who walked the Camino herself uh, mm-hmm. way back in the early 14th century. Yeah, so she is a pilgrim, a very famous pilgrim. And um, and her tomb is in the church. Mm-hmm. And there's also a statue of her at the front. And so it was, it was nice to be able to, you know, pay our respects there and, and feel like, you know, we were part of the, the journey that, that she undertook as well. Mm-hmm. And later on, we were able to visit something else. And again, this goes back to maybe trying to get this deeper understanding of, of Portugal. Um, there's another church or a monastery complex, really, called Santa Cruz. And there they have the tomb of Afonso Henrique, who is the first king of Portugal. Mm-hmm. And that was, we didn't actually didn't really realize until we, I think maybe even until we arrived in Quimbra, that his tomb was there. No, we had been told when we visited Braga a few months ago. Okay. Um, we went to the church there where his mother mm-hmm. is buried. Yeah, his mother Teresa, yeah. 
Yeah, and the tour guide who was showing us around the Braga Cathedral and showed us his mother's tomb, she was the one who told us that he himself was buried in Coimbra, and I had made a mental note of that, and so that was the thing that we sought out while we were there. All right, I might have forgotten about that entirely, but (laughs) anyway, but that was also actually a really interesting, um, you know, religious complex, not just for that tomb, but for other reasons as well, and so it was something, for some reason, that we had missed the first time we'd been to Coimbra, so it was really nice to, yeah, to have this opportunity to go and see it the second time. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to walk the Lisbon to Porto Stretch, those are three real highlight uh, destinations. So it might be worth taking a rest day and at least in Tomar and Quimbra, perhaps. Santarang is a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if you're really into seeing these historic places and trying to get deeper into the history of Portugal, then, um, you know, these are great places to do it. Definitely. Now, one of the other criticisms that we mentioned a little bit earlier was that, you know, there isn't as much pilgrim infrastructure as, you know, later on after Porto and and things like that. And that is true. Um, Mm -hmm. And certainly walking in a pandemic and having a lot of these albergues being closed also didn't help um, in that way. Yeah, definitely didn't help. But it's interesting looking back now that you know, on that stretch from from Lisbon to Porto, we did stay at three really amazing places that we absolutely loved and where we really felt the spirit of the Camino. Mm -hmm. And as I think we mentioned in one of the other episodes, that when you perhaps don't feel that exactly every night because Mm -hmm. there aren't that many pilgrims and because you're sometimes staying in hotels and you're a little bit separated from from the Camino, when you do feel it, um, then it becomes even more special. Yeah. So the first of these, which we did mention last time, is Quinta de Buja, and this is between Azambuja and Santarang. So Azambuja to Santarang is quite a long stretch. It's about 32, 33 kilometers off the top of my head. And Quinta de Buja is right in the middle of it. So you can do this all in one day, and we chose to break it up because we're all about breaking it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm all about short days. Right. <laughs> or at least I was in the beginning when I was having physical difficulties. And again, it was very hot. Uh, Mm -hmm. at that time and it was one of the sort of dusty Camino kind of days and so it just made it feel even hotter and we were super happy that we made that choice to to split it up because Quinta de Buja was a really great place. Yes Um, I talked a little bit about the story behind it in uh, I believe the previous episode Uh, but yeah Paula the owner is uh, a really wonderful person and very hospitable and um, yeah that was the first time that we really felt uh, the spirit while we were walking this Camino. She's also made a beautiful place. Uh, she bought an old farmhouse and uh, completely restored it. She's a retired architect, I believe. And so, you know, she designed the whole restoration. The building that we were sleeping in used to be a stable. Um, and I could kind of tell that as soon as we walked in, uh, and then I asked her and she said, yeah, that's where they used to keep the horses. Um, so it's just a really, uh, unique atmosphere and we were the only pilgrims staying there. So that, you know, I'm sure we didn't feel the, the whole spirit of the Camino and the whole experience as strongly as other people uh, in the past who have recommended it to us, who have walked in previous years. But just being there with Paula um, and, uh, you know, being her guest was already a really special experience. Yeah, I think she said the most number of pilgrims she's ever had was 25. Yeah, I can't imagine. Right. And I mean, even just because it's it's very close to Lisbon or within three or four days from Lisbon. So, yeah, I mean, this is a stretch where there usually aren't that many pilgrims to begin with. So I'm amazed she got 25. There must have been a, a group involved in it or, or, you know, otherwise it's it seems quite unusual, especially because not everybody stays there. Often people do this 
full day into Santorin instead. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were the only people there, but still it was a, a really lovely place to stay. Uh, the second place to mention is called Hartway Pilgrim House. And this is after Tomar, the first day after Tomar. And we, this is one of those places where we didn't really know about or we didn't, it wasn't our first choice and we were calling other places and they were all closed and we were kind of looking at the at the map and looking at certain options and finally we called them and, and they were open. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and we were really lucky that they were because we really liked staying there as well. Definitely. Um, and we were not the only pilgrims that time. There was one other pilgrim there. Um, and so that was the first time that we, you know, had had a communal... Well, no, that's not true. We did have a communal dinner in Azinyaga with other pilgrims as well. Uh, that was also a nice place in Azinyaga, but a bit overpriced, I thought, perhaps taking advantage of pilgrims a little bit. Um, but yeah, Hartway was another very special place. It's run by a German woman, uh, sorry, Dutch woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is an artist, so she's decorated the place herself. She has lots of her paintings on the walls and lots of times paintings and drawings with stories behind them and stories uh, connected to the Camino. She's also a pilgrim who has walked the Camino herself and is very passionate about it. So, yeah, I really loved the experience of staying there. Yeah, and one other thing to mention about it is I think it has a bit of a reputation as a hippie place. I've heard a couple of people refer to it that way. And with the idea that if you think, you know, a hippie place isn't for you, then maybe you shouldn't stop here. But I didn't, I mean, I, I mean, she's a free spirit, but I didn't feel that at all. I didn't, I mean, I'm not, you know. You don't identify I, as I don't a identify hippie. as a hippie, but, uh, th- you know, that didn't bother me in the slightest. I, I love the atmosphere and the feeling and everything. So I don't think you should be put off by this idea that it's a hippie place. Um, but, you know, there's hammocks to lie out in and, you know, like you mentioned, all this artwork and things like that. So um, it's definitely it's definitely a beautiful place. And I don't think uh, you should be put off by this idea that it's only for hippies for sure. No, and it's actually very comfortable, you know, it's not like you're using, you know, outhouses with drop toilets and things like that, like you have all kinds of modern amenities and everything that you would hope to have um, in in an albergue, uh, small rooms, uh, we had a room with four bunks, with mm-hmm. two two sets of mm-hmm. bunks, so four beds, and uh, we had that room to ourselves. I mean, you know, you might not all, always have that. We're, we're obviously in a special situation this year, but in any case, they were small rooms and, um, and a communal dinner uh, where we all sat outside on a, a terrace and ate and watched the sun go down. And uh, she had made some sangria because they'd had a, a party uh, earlier and there was some sangria left over. So, yeah, it was a really wonderful experience. All right. And the last place to mention is one of these places that we talked about where we had to go off the Camino slightly. And in this case, it was only, I think, one and a half to two kilometers off the Camino. Mm-hmm. And again, it was one of these other places that we didn't know about. We actually only learned about it because a few days before we passed it, we saw a sign for it. And then we started to kind of look it up and think, oh, wow, this actually looks like a really nice place. And we rearranged, you know, our stages to, to fit it. It's called Albergue Muinho Garcia. Uh, Muinho is a mill. Mm-hmm. And so it's this albergue that's on this river or on this stream. And there are two historic mills there. And the rooms that you stay in are, are inside the mills. Yes. Um, so yeah, the other occasions where we went off the Camino, it was because we couldn't find any accommodation on the Camino, but this was, was a bit different. We actually went out of our way just to stay at this place because, um, 
yeah, it just sounded so amazing. Uh, yeah, we just saw a little ad for it, a little poster on the Camino itself as we were walking, and it caught our eye. And so we took a photo of it, and then later looked up the website, and we thought, wow, this looks like a very special place. So um, yeah, we hadn't been planning on stopping exactly in that area, but we changed things around so that we could, and I'm so glad that we did, uh, because it was everything that we had hoped that it would be, and more probably. Yeah, so you get to have a shower in this little waterfall that's in the river, um, and you just get to you just get to hear the sounds of the stream, which is just really nice throughout the day. Um, there are vines as well, um, and you can just pick grapes off them and eat them. Uh, and he has figs as well, and uh-huh. so you, we could eat the figs. Um, and, and he made pizza pizza for us. He had a pizza oven outdoors, and so we had homemade pizza for dinner. Um, yeah, and we just felt like we were in the middle of the forest. I mean, we were. We walked through the forest for quite a while to get there, so it just felt, you know, completely remote and isolated from from the rest of the world. And I called it a vacation from our Camino <laughs> because we it was a short day to get there. Um, so I don't remember exactly how much we walked, but it wasn't very much, something like 12 kilometers, 15 kilometers at the most. And so we arrived mid-morning and uh, had the rest of the day to enjoy the place. And so, yeah, it felt like we were on holiday. <laughs> All right. So good note to end on, I think. So overall, though... Um... Would you recommend this stretch, Lisbon to Port? Well, I would if you have the time um, and if you're interested in discovering more about Portugal um, and seeing, you know, all different aspects. Um, I mean, I will say that I think that the stretch from Porto to Santiago is probably the most beautiful uh, in terms of the scenery. Um, But I'm very glad that I walked the whole way from Lisbon uh, for the reasons that we've already discussed. So yeah, if that's, um, you know, if you have about a month or so uh, and you're looking for a Camino that's that length, then yeah, I'd say this is a good choice. Yeah, and it definitely helps you, you know, see more of Portugal, see different parts of Portugal from what you're going to see in the north as we've been talking about. And so that's a, you know, that's a real highlight of it all as well. I mean, I know that a lot of people have said that they didn't like it. So, I don't know, maybe you you would enjoy it more if you did a little bit of research beforehand and knew a bit more about the country and then would have a greater appreciation for things like, you know, the hometown of, of Jose Saramago and things like that. And everybody's Camino is always different. Right. Um, so, you know, just because somebody else doesn't like it, it doesn't mean that you won't love it uh, mm-hmm. if you walk it. That's part of the, the magic of the Camino, I guess, is that it is what you make of it and the experiences that you have. Um you know, they. It doesn't matter if somebody else. Uh, they could walk the same stage as you and have a completely different experience. But totally. it's just, uh, it's just the way the Camino goes. And and we we loved most of this stretch. So um, hopefully, other people will walk it in the future. Yeah, and I hope they enjoy it too. All right. So until the next episode, bon camino. And buen camino. Thanks for listening. For more great content about the Camino de Santiago, visit our website at spiritofthecamino.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Spirit of the Camino. Buen Camino.